Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 31, and then 35 through 41. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and he said, Men, you know that from this business we've made our wealth, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be even deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him go. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of, Ephes of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is God's word. Good morning. As Drew said, my name is Brandon Lutz, and I'm the youth pastor here at Redeemer. This morning we're continuing our series uh, on the book of Acts, and specifically this morning we're going to look at the topic of idolatry. In Acts 19, we read an account that involves Paul and some of his friends having their lives threatened for preaching and people believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because, because to preach the gospel is to preach against idolatry. So in the beginning of Acts 19, Paul's group has been preaching and teaching the word of God for over two years and many are putting their faith in Jesus. We didn't read this part, but this is at the beginning of chapter 19. And naturally, this is going to have a negative effect on those who are in the business of selling idols. Those who are in the business of selling handmade statues of various gods. Demetrius is the man we read about who started this right. He's a silversmith whose business, whose money, whose income has been affected by the message of the gospel. And so he, he creates a commotion, a commotion that very quickly turns into a riot. The riot wanted to take matters into their own hands, which probably would have meant the death of Paul and anybody associated with him. But somehow, 
I don't know exactly what he said outside of what we read, but somehow the town clerk calms them down and gets the crowd to disperse. Idolatry always and only pulls our hearts away from God. Believing the gospel, putting more and more faith in what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has given us, propels our hearts toward God. Let me say that again because um, that is, I mean, that's part of the gospel. We preach the gospel here every week. So whether idolatry is the, the main topic for the week or whether it's an underlying theme, this is, this is fundamental to what you hear from us. Idolatry pulls our hearts away from God. Believing the gospel, putting more and more faith in what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus gives us, propels our hearts toward God. Tim Keller says that you cannot understand the gospel of Jesus Christ until you understand idolatry and how it affects your heart. Now, I think I've said idolatry or idols probably seven times by now. Um, so let me, let me go ahead and define this for us before we really dive into this text. Idolatry is this. If there is anything other than God that is more important to your happiness, to your identity, to your hope, or your meaning, that is idolatry. Idolatry is taking things in our lives, whether they are physical objects or ideas or concepts, and making them ultimate things. If I had this, then I will be happy. If I had that, then I would feel safe and secure. If I had this, then I will know that I've arrived. Then I will know that I'm a somebody. If only I had that, then I could be at peace. Then I could be at rest. And we take something that is not God and we give it the honor and the glory and the power that only God should have. That is idolatry. When our desire for, for something becomes more than our desire for God, we have fallen into idolatry. So now, if you're like me and you were listening or you heard that, then your heart just said, oh boy. I mean, that's not good. Because if that is true, then that means there is no limit to what can be an idol of my heart, what can be an idol of my life. Even the good things in my life, like my wife, my children, my job, my love for football, all these things can become idols in my life. Again, that's, that's a little scary. So let's, let's buckle up. Here we go. First, let's look at the enchantment of idols. Idols have power. If idols did not have power, then they would not be idols. The desires of our hearts pull us away from God. They have a charm. There is an attraction. There is a, a fascination, almost as if they had some kind of magic. We were put under some kind of spell that, that pulls us towards them. And if there's something that is going to get in our way, if there's someone who's going to block us from having this desire or, or getting these desires of our hearts, then look out. Things are probably going to get ugly. Things are probably going to get nasty. And this ugliness is what happened in Acts 19 with Demetrius and the other silversmiths and craftsmen. One of Demetrius', Demetrius idols was wealth. Now the good news that Jesus has come along and has made the demand of shrines and statues decrease. No one's buying these things, not nearly as much as they used to. These guys are not making nearly as much money as they were used to getting, so they get angry. In fact, the text says that they get enraged. They get angry enough that they stir up this massive riot that quickly rushes to the amphitheater, dragging along two of Paul's friends. More than likely with the hope that this is going to make Paul show up. 
And in their rage, many believe that they would have killed Paul if he did show up, if he did walk into that theater. But Paul's friends and the government officials wouldn't let him go into the theater because they feared for his life. This is how angry, this is how enraged these people were. That even people who are not Paul's friends say, don't go in there, they will kill you. It's almost as if they are under this spell because they're saying and doing some very irrational things, things that just don't make sense. Their main argument against Paul is that Paul is saying that God's made with hands and God made, God's made by men but with wood and, and silver and precious metals are not God's. I mean, to us, that's kind of a no-brainer, but to them, that's their argument. The city is full of confusion. I think it says confusion a couple times in our passage. There are people who are in this riot who don't know why they're rioting. For two hours they are chanting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis. I mean, it all sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Their idol of wealth has bewitched them. Their idol has made their, their thoughts, their emotions, and their actions irrational. They have been enchanted by their idol of wealth. Their hearts have been taken over by their desire for wealth. So what about us? What are the things in your life that you know you can easily be enchanted by? For most of us, if not all of us, this, these are going to be uh, good things that we make ultimate things. I want to ask you just some questions just to think about that David Pallison asked that will help you discover or, or rediscover some of your idle tendencies. So look at I'm just going to ask some of these questions. You can write them down or just think about them in your heart. What do you love? What do you love? What do you trust? What do you put your trust in? What do you fear? And not spiders, not snakes. What do you fear? What do you hate? Dave Pallison, he has a list of about 35, and that was just the first question. I'll, let me ask a couple more. Um, what are the things that you worry about? What are the things that, that keep you up late at night? What are the things that you, you organize your entire life around? Where do you find your refuge? Where do you find your, your safety and security? What brings you comfort? What, what gives you pleasure? Where do you go to escape? These are some great questions that got my heart going as I was thinking about this topic. If you would like the full list of 35 questions, please let me know. I know some of your community groups might use them for discussion. But, but the scary thing for most of us is, if not all of us, is the answer, again, to most of these questions are good things. What do I love? I love my wife. I love my children. I love my friends. If you've known me for two minutes, you know that I love Chipotle. Um, <laughs> I love NFL football because it's real football. I love fantasy football. None of these things are bad things in and of themselves. But when we make these things, when I make these things ultimate things, that's when I get into trouble. That's where my heart is led astray. You know, I think it was Keller who said, when we lose something or, or something is, is taken from us that isn't an idol of ours, our, our natural emotional reaction, we, we get sad. When you hear of, of someone losing a loved one, you, you get sad for them. That's natural. That, that's good. That's healthy. That's normal. 
But, it, but if something is an idol of ours and we lose it or someone takes it from us, then we get angry. Then we get enraged. Teenagers, do I dare ask you how you would feel if your iPhones were taken from you? What do your phones give you that God doesn't give you? What do your phones give you that you don't believe God can give you? The ironic part about idols is that we make them everything to us. They become our entire world. They become the center of our universe. But in return, they give us nothing back. I mean, if you're an investor, the, the return on investment is nothing. It's the worst investment ever. We pour our time and energy into these things we think will, will give us approval, that will give us a, a sense of control, a reputation, success, security, pleasure, joy, knowledge, rec- recognition, or respect. But, w- but when God is not where we get these things from, we will eventually experience the emptiness of our idols. So we run into a problem. We run into this problem where we, we experience the emptiness of our idols. When we get, when we get to this place or, or um, receive this desire of our heart and it doesn't fulfill us, we, we have three options. The first option is to think, well, I must need more of whatever my idol is. So I think this, the students have heard this illustration at least twice, and I think I may have used it actually in my first sermon here a couple years ago, but no one remembers that, so I'm going to use it again. Tom Brady, most of us know who he is. The ladies definitely know who he is. Um, He is a a very, very attractive man. I was hoping a couple men would be nodding their heads yes, but I don't see any right now. I think he's an attractive man. I don't know what that says about me. (laughs) So Tom Brady, he has won four Super Bowls. At least two, maybe three Super Bowl MVPs. He's an all-pro quarterback, first ballot Hall of Famer, football legend. Uh, People are going to build statues of this guy. Stadiums will be named after him. That's um, That's how much of a good football player this guy is. He'll be remembered forever. He was interviewed not too long ago. And so you would think someone... With, with this much success would be happy. You would think that he would have a, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of he's arrived, a sense of being at peace with who he is and what he has done. But instead, uh, he, he goes on to open up his heart, and, and he is none of these things. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal. I've reached my life. My dream, this is it. Me, I think, God, there's, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. At the end of his interview when he was asked, which Super Bowl ring is your favorite? He says, the next one. I've always said that the next one will be my favorite. He thinks that he needs more of what he already has, and then he will be complete. So the second option is we run to a new or or a different idol. We find or create a new desire in our heart that we believe will will fill this void that we have. So let me use the example of romance idolatry. A lot of teenagers, a lot of teenage boys and girls, they think, man, if only I could get that boyfriend, if only I could have that girlfriend— you know, then I will, I will be approved, I will feel loved, I will feel desired. 
maybe I will, I will get some things that I want to experience that not having a boyfriend or girlfriend will have. And so they get into that relationship, and all of a sudden they, they don't get these things that their heart longs for. So they probably start doing things in their relationship that are not God-honoring. So let's, let's jump maybe 10, 15 years or so, and a man and a woman get married, and they believe that the other, that their spouse, they get married because they think their spouse is going to make all their dreams come true. It's going to be just like Disney promises. They're going to live happily ever after. All the married people are, are the people who just left uh, because they know it isn't true. So when the, when the married couple realizes that their spouse isn't perfect, that their spouse isn't going to make their lives perfect for them, they move on to someone or something else. This is when a career becomes more important than it should be. This is when an affair takes place. This is when a, a couple can start looking to their children to fulfill this desire of their hearts, this longing of their hearts. So you can bounce from one form of idolatry to another. Idols are never going to give you what they promise. In fact, idols are always going to give you the exact opposite of what you thought it would give you. If your idol is wealth, then you are always going to feel poor or always going to feel like you need more. You do not have enough. If your idol is approval, then you will always feel disapproval or you are focused on those one or two or three people that you don't think like you. If your idol is pleasure, then you will never be satisfied. If your idol is control, then you will feel out of control. The idols and desires of our hearts always leave us feeling empty. And the third option, lastly, and the third option is that we realize that all these desires and idols of our hearts, they don't fulfill us. We realize this. We realize that there is nothing, whether it's a material possession or a position or an ideal or a principle or whatever it is, nothing can fill this God-shaped void that is in all of our hearts. So you're coming to the realization that there's nothing you can do, nothing you cannot do that will make your heart full and, and give you a sense of peace, that will put you at rest. And, and this part is so crucial, it's so critical. This is where you have to get to before you can believe the gospel. Not that you're never going to struggle with idols again, but this is the, the emptiness that you have to get to before you can believe the gospel. When the crowds came to Jesus in John 6, their big question for him was this. Jesus, what, what, what must we do to enter the kingdom of God? What do we need to do to know that I stand right before God? What do I need to do to know that God is happy with me, to know that God smiles upon me? Jesus, what do we have to do? Just tell us what we got to do. Jesus' answer is, it's so simple, yet so many of us, including myself, we, we forget it all the time, and we don't get this. Jesus tells them this, believe. Believe in me. Put your faith in me. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you have to do. I did everything for you. All you have to do is believe in me. Believe in the one whom the Father sent. But if you don't believe, if you don't put your faith in Jesus, what he has done in your place as a substitute for sinners, and you'll become enslaved to the idols of this world and the idols of your heart. Whatever we worship, we will serve. For worship and service are always intimately bound together. We enter into service with whatever most captures our imagination, most captures our hearts. It enslaves us. It ensnares us. We're ensnared by our spiritual idols just like people are ensnared by drinks and drugs. 
live in denial of, of how much we're rebelling against God's rule, just like addicts live in denial of how much they are trampling on their families and loved ones. Tim Keller says, An idolatrous attachment can lead you to break any promise, rationalize the irrational, or betray any other allegiance in order to hold on to it. It may drive you to violate all good and proper boundaries. To practice idolatry is to be a slave. David Powelson says, Idols lie, they enslave, and they murder. They are continually insinuated by the one who was a liar, the one who was a slave master, and murderer from the very beginning. They are under the immediate wrath of God who, freq who frequently does not allow these things to work well in his world. When you go throughout the Bible and come across the topic of idolatry, which is very often, God never takes it lightly. The idolatry of God's people kept them in the wilderness for decades after being slaves in Egypt. The entire first generation of God's people died in the wilderness because of their idolatry. God wiped out the entire earth outside of Noah and his family because of idolatry. In the prophets, when people have idols, it always ends in their destruction. There is no such thing as an idol that saves you or fulfills you. It may feel like it for a moment. It may feel like it for a time. But in the end, it will destroy you. So if you want to be freed from the desi desires of your hearts, then you have to believe in the one that didn't let idols take over and consume his heart. Now, our passage of scripture for today, in a lot of ways, is the exact opposite of what Jesus went through and experienced during his last day. A riot of people wanted Jesus killed just like they wanted Paul killed because of the gospel message they were spreading. But when Paul wanted to defend himself, he didn't get that opportunity. Jesus gets the opportunity to defend himself, and what does he do? He doesn't defend himself. Paul had friends who kept him from harm. Paul even had people who didn't know him protect him from harm, but yet Jesus had his, his best friends betray him, deny him, and desert him on his last day. When the town clerk found Paul innocent, he dispersed the crowd and told them to leave these men alone. And so they did. But when Pilate found Jesus innocent, he hands Jesus over to the riot and says, do what you want with him. So an innocent man died alone on the cross at the hands of an angry riot. And, and it's, it had to be this way so idolatrous sinners like you and me may be saved. He had to experience the, the sorrow and the brokenness of our idolatry on the cross. He has given us the, the ability to, to rest from our weariness. He's given us the opportunity to have joy in this life. So let me just give you three uh, quick practical applications as we come to a close. First, identify your idols. Wrestle with your heart. Be honest with yourself. Have honest and loving conversations with friends where you can help one another identify your idols and so you can help each other stay accountable. And second, um, Jonathan joked about this with me this morning um, before he knew that I was going to mention this in the sermon. Um, but, but something that I resonate deeply with this, if, if you believe the gospel, then how about you notify your face? Now, that's something that I struggle with uh, greatly for different reasons, but that's a different conversation, different day. 
Um, but that's something I've been preaching to, to my heart lately. Let your friends, let your coworkers, your, your neighbors, strangers, enemies see the joy and the rest that we have by believing. Let them see the joy and the rest that we have by putting our faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. Make them wonder, what do you have that they don't? What are you believing in that they are not believing? Which brings us lastly, and by far most importantly, believe. Too many of us do too much and believe too little. The Christian life is not about doing, it is about believing. Believe the gospel. Believe the promises of the gospel. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Believe that Jesus gives you what he says he gives you. Believe that you already have the approval of the Father because of Jesus. Believe that you are the sons and the daughters of God, and therefore you do not need to live as orphans. Believe that God looks upon you, and he always has a smile on his face, no matter what you're doing or not doing. Believe that your wealth comes from uh, none other than being a child of God and the inheritance he has waiting for you. Believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it sounds so simple, but increase, increase our faith. We pray as the apostles prayed, increase our faith. Make our hearts believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending Jesus to live the life we should have lived and to die the death of an idolatrous sinner. Thank you that the, the work of us as Christians is not a checklist of do's and don'ts. Rather, be a follower of you, and, and the work of a disciple of Jesus is to believe. Help us to identify the things in our lives and in our hearts that hinder our belief, or even completely stop or halt our belief. Father, for those of us uh, here today who have been enslaved by the desires of their hearts, we pray that you would break the shackles and the bonds that these idols have created. We pray that they would find a desire and a need for you. And that's where they would get their rest. That the, that's where they would get their approval. Father, again, we pray as the disciples prayed, increase our faith. Increase our belief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Christian life is, is not about doing, it's about believing. If you want a lasting transformation to take place in your life and in your heart, the only way to do that is to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we go out, uh, we are sent with this blessing of God over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face towards you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.